0: The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation God gave me Blessed consolation My trials come To only make me strong Through it all Through it all I've learned to trust in Jesus I've learned in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Welcome you to Pilgrim's Progress today. We have such tame religion. We've we've lost what our forefathers had. We've lost the fire. It's all become very introspective and sentimental. We're in trouble. I want to share with you as we begin today from the book, Remarkable Miracles, just a very short piece. I've shared it with you before, but but I have a very specific purpose for wanting to share it again today. This is a book, uh, Remarkable Miracles, by Guy Bevington, a revivalist, an evangelist. He would call himself a holiness evangelist. It was first published in 1920. Let me just share some of this. He is at a home where he is going to hold a meeting in a Methodist church, a revival meeting in a Methodist church. And he is so diswrought upset by the tameness of their religion. Obviously, the fire of Wesley is gone, and they have now become just lukewarm Christians. And so people are standing up and giving testimonies about what God has done for them, but it's all in the past. There's nothing current. It's not alive. It's dead. I remember as a boy sitting in testimony meetings in my in my family's church and I would begin as they called for testimonies regularly after the communion service and people would stand up and begin to give their testimonies and so I would I would say their testimony with them because I'd memorized their testimonies. They were dead. There was no life there. Well, that was what was happening in this Methodist church. And finally, he couldn't stomach it anymore, and he stood up and told a man to sit down and be quiet. The man became very incensed and very angry, jumped up and left, and took 80-some people out of the congregation with him. Now, the one family, he's, he's leaving and he's going... another meeting, and he's going by wagon, and as they're making way in the wagon toward the train station, they hear a man coming behind them shouting at the top of his lungs, wait, wait, wait. Well, that's where I'm going to pick up a very short portion of this story to illustrate what I'm trying to talk about today. Let's be very clear. The purpose of this broadcast is to open before your eyes the word of God. The word of God. So that you will make a decision about your future. A man is coming shouting for them to please stop. And Brother Bevington asks the man, Jim, who's driving the wagon, who is that man? Who's coming behind us? And Jim answered, the man you called down in the testimony meeting, he's my cousin. I see he is bareheaded and looking kind of wild, yelling for me to stop. Well, he was a sight indeed. Here he came on horseback, yelling, Stop! Stop! Wait! So John stopped. He leaped off, the man leaped off his horse, and he rushed right up to the wagon and threw his arms around me. Oh, Brother Bevington, pray for me. I've been in hell ever since that Saturday night. I said, Do you really want God? Yes. I could tell he was serious. Drive up along the fence, I instructed John. We did so, and John got down on one side of the wagon and I on the other. And Jim, staying in the wagon, began to pray with us, still up in the wagon. In about an hour, he burst out, Oh, God. "'Oh, God, have mercy, have mercy. "'Oh, God, save me from this awful hell that I'm rushing into.' Then he cried out, "'Brother Bevington, come over here, come over here, take my hand, "'for I'm slipping into hell right now. "'Oh, come here quickly.' I said, "'No, I won't come up there. "'You repent.' I stayed at my post beside the wagon. "'Brother, I'm going to hell.' If you had what you deserved, you'd have been there a long time ago. Repent! Repent! I was determined he would pray it through. We were there by the fence all day long. Three times some of his relatives came along, but they couldn't get him out of that wagon. One of his cousins, a wealthy farmer, came along with a flock of sheep and called out to John, "'Who's that in the wagon?' "'Well, it's Jim.' Well, what is he doing there? Jim yelled out, I'm getting God. The cousin made all sorts of threats against me and John too, but Jim stayed in his place until he prayed through. Then he jumped out, shouting, grab me, landed both of us on the ground. He got right back up and carried me all around for nearly an hour. Finally, he got on his horse and he left, headed home, rejoicing as he went. You see, this kind of stirring of a man's heart doesn't happen today. Everything is psychology. Everything is how do you feel? Everything is... Well, one man said to me, I believe that my sins, my secret sins, are all covered. If they weren't, I know I'd be headed to hell. So Pastor, I can't believe what you say when you say that we must deal with sin and all of it has to go. He said if that were true, I'd be hell-bound. Well, he's right. And he is. Is he a Christian? Yes, he says he's a Christian, and he gives evidence that he's a Christian. And he says, there's no sin in my life that I'm aware of, but he knows that things are not right in his heart. See, I named this broadcast today a very simple, your only hope. Well, I've asked some people, what is your only hope? And they've answered very quickly, our only hope is Jesus. It's the wrong answer. Our only hope is not first Jesus. Our only hope is repentance. So that Jesus can save us. This will not be a milk toast Repentance. This will not be a casual, oh, forgive me, Lord. I made a mistake here. Forgive me, please. No, 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 no. It's got to go all the way to the bottom. It's got to deal with our hearts. And almost everyone that I speak with today, they have a tame religion. They have the hair on their religion well combed have a pretty little collar around it. Their religion is their nice little pet. And they're saved and they're on their way to heaven. Wrong. Wrong. You see, God is not going to judge us based on our standard of righteousness. He is going to judge us by his standard of righteousness. So... You've left all known sin. You're not a druggie. You're not an alcoholic. You're not jumping into pornography. You're not lying and cheating and stealing. You're not cursing. You're not using the name of the Lord in vain. But in your inner being, you know there are still very key issues that have not been resolved. Well, how are you going to resolve those? I only know of one way to resolve those. This man was willing to go out in that wagon in public and stay on his knees before Almighty God for a full day, crying out to God. When people said, what are you doing in there? He said, I'm getting to God. Are you willing to get to God? Are you willing to pray this way? I don't know any shortcuts. I know I have to become bent by the Holy Spirit. Like in the Welsh Revival, Evan Roberts prayed, bend us, break us. We're a proud people. We have tamed our religion. We have, we've made pets of our religion. So we can go about doing <clears throat> whatever we want to do. We can watch what we want to watch. We can go where we want to go. We can spend our time and our money and our energy, however we choose, because we have a tame God. In a book I once read, there was a sentence that arrested me. It said, our God is not a tame wolf. I thought a lot about that. Jesus is not like us. Have you lied? Have you stolen anything? Have you looked at a woman or a man and lusted in your heart after them? Have you gone to the pornography? Have you gossiped about somebody and made them look small and yourself big? Have you gone about your worldly activities without regard for how God might think about those? Let me read a scripture for you. I don't want to say it. I don't want you to say, that's what Pastor Ray says, but I don't believe it. I want to read the word of God to you, may I? Romans, the second chapter. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek honor, glory, and honor, they seek good, immortality, he will give them eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth, who follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. It's not a sinning Christian. Please, I want you to hear what I'm saying to you today. There is no longer room for tame religion. It must be radical. It must be powerful. And it must be focused in America on repentance. Now, what does repentance mean? The literal meaning of the words is to have An afterthought. In other words, to begin to contemplate who I am, what I've done, what I think, what I feel, and then bring it before the Lord and stay there until He sanctifies me. What is sanctification? To be made holy. We've been taught that it's a work of the lifetime. It's not the work of a lifetime. It, it is what we pray through in victory before Jesus. See, immaturity is not sin. Sin is a a voluntary violation of what we know to be God's will. And as the Holy Spirit reveals that to us, In increasing measure, we repent and we pray through and we gain the victory in that area until every area has been totally conquered and he has moved in fully by his Holy Spirit. And we have victory. Now, some of you are having a hard time with what I'm saying. but I want to read this also to you. But because of your stubbornness, this is Romans 2 verse 5, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant hearts, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Well, right now, America is storing up great wrath for that day of judgment, and the judgment will come upon America. America has become an utterly wicked and evil nation. Right now, all of the discussion is centered around the Politico report of a leaked uh, memo from the Supreme Court saying, That Roe versus Wade is going to be reversed by our Supreme Court. And this has ignited such anger and bitterness in the hearts of many Americans because they believe that they're right. There's just one problem abortion is the taking of a human life. Is it a woman's right to kill her baby? Is it a right because she can do it? Yes, she can do it. But scripture calls it murder. And murders will face the judgment bar of God and be cast into the fires of hell. God God has a standard of righteousness that is much different than our standard of righteousness. And so you can protest and claim all you want that that we have a right. Okay. Because you can do it, does that mean you have a right? Not according to God. Any taking of life is murder, it's murder. And murders, according to Scripture, cannot enter the kingdom of God. But you see, we have established our own standards of what is right and what is wrong, but they're not the standards of the Lord God of heaven. And because we have set up our own standards of righteousness, we think we're okay. Okay. We're going to have to repent. Our only hope is that we can repent before God, and repentance is a gift from the Lord. His kindness is meant to lead us to a place where we will have an afterthought of our behavior and our activities and say, okay, I recognize this is wrong. And now we have to pray until that wrong is righted in our heart. Now, in First Peter, the fourth chapter, I want to read a portion of this to you, so please listen and be very patient. This is First Peter four. "Therefore Christ, having suffered in our behalf in the flesh, that is, God suffered in our behalf in the same thing we have, flesh. You must also arm yourselves right now with the same mind, because the one having suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So no longer live the remaining time in the flesh, in the lust of men, but in the will of God. In other words, Jesus died that we could live. But it's not enough to say our hope is in Jesus. Instead, we have to make up our mind that we're going to walk like Jesus walked. The only way to do that is through repentance. For in repentance, the Holy Spirit comes and moves in our heart and adjusts everything the way it needs to be. Verse 3, for the time of life, Having gone by is enough to have spent in the desires of the Gentiles, having gone on in sensuality, in lust, in drunkenness, in carousing, in drinking parties, and disgusting idolatries, that is putting everything in the flesh ahead of God. Are you putting anything today ahead of God? Or are you willing to abide by the judgment that he makes? See, we have, we have so tamed our God. We have so tamed our religion that it no longer has any absolute standards. That has to change in our hearts. This is a heart change I'm talking about. It's a repentance that we must come to. And it's not going to be, now I lay me down to sleep, or row, row, row your boat gently down the stream, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. It's not going to be that kind of foolishness. It's going to be getting on our face before God and beginning to be absolutely honest with ourselves and with him. So in your heart, you have a, a longing for what you know to be evil. What are you going to do with that longing in your heart? Many Christians just say, well, you know, that's how I feel. So I'll act on it when I choose, and then I'll go and repent, and then I'll Be okay, and then I'll go back and do it again. No. And the only way to stop going back is to pray it through and be sanctified wholly by the Holy Spirit, to be brought through in victory. The story I read for you a moment ago is about a man who was very religious, but dead in his religion and he was firmly confronted with his deadness, and it made him so angry. And yet God used that to begin working in his heart. And then he had to take a day, a full day, to pray through and get the victory. Well, today... We have the internet, we have the television, we have the cell phones, we have every possible distraction. We have jobs, we have cars, we have a fast-paced life. Everything is designed in our culture to keep you from God, to keep you from getting serious about God. And many of you You're going to give your children those dance lessons. You're going to give your children those soccer lessons. You're going to give your children every opportunity because you didn't have them. You want to give your kids everything. You're preparing them for hell. You're not preparing them for heaven. You're preparing them to be successful in this worldly life. So they have a taste for culture. They have a taste for for movies, they have a taste for things, they have a taste for the world, and it was put into them by you as a parent because you did not discipline your children with love. You did not turn them toward the scriptures. I'll be very vulnerable. When I was a little boy, my mother loved novels and she read them every opportunity. And so she took us to the library so we could bring home an armload of, of novels. She said it was good for our education. My dad would look at those and he would say, Raymond, those novels will not comfort your heart and they no- will not lead you to Jesus. Why don't you put the novels aside and open the Bible And read the stories in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Read the stories in the Old Testament and ask Jesus to teach you about himself. Well, I didn't do that. I loved the novels. What does the word novel mean? It means a lie. I was taught to love a lie by my mother. My father, on the other hand, kept calling me to Jesus. Now, my mother was a very religious woman. Don't get me wrong. But she loved the world. And she taught me to love the world. Maybe it was because Dad had only a three-grade education and my mother was a bacteriologist. She was very well-educated. I don't know. I don't think that's true though. I think I've done my graduate school work and I don't love the world. I've totally renounced the world. I've walked away from it. I don't think education necessarily means you're going to love the world, but the temptation is there. And you send your kids off to to college. And you don't prepare them for what they're going to face. And so many within the first year have turned into party animals and drunkards and druggies. They don't love the Lord anymore. They've renounced their Christian faith. They've learned a whole new way of life. And that way of life will be very difficult for them to reverse and you paid for them to to get that turning away from Jesus and you didn't prepare them verse 4 this is first peter the 4th chapter verse 4 by which they are amazed that is your friends no let me read that whole portion for you having gone on in sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, disgusting idolatries, by which they are amazed that you are not running with them in the same flood of overindulgence and slandering you. They will give an account to the one being ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 7, Now the end of all things has come near. Therefore you must be sober-minded and self controlled for the purpose of your prayers. And above all things, having unfailing love among yourselves, because love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable one to another without grumbling. You know, what I'm saying is, look, we have not been called to walk in uncertainty and a walk in the way of this world where everything is relative. There are absolute truths that we must know. And our hope must be that we could honestly repent that Jesus could save us from our wickedness. And some of you You're not even willing to admit that you're wicked. You have had your mind so seared by the world, the flesh, and the devil, that you don't even see your spiritual condition. You just have little hints of it. It's for us to take those little hints and to go into the prayer closet and to cry out to God Almighty about those little hints and ask him, would you please begin to open this for me? Would you give me understanding of this? And would you change this in my character and in my spirit? And much of what's going to have to be changed is maybe what your mom taught you or your dad. Now, some people can grow up in a wicked household like a beautiful lily and be untouched by all of this wickedness and be holy before Almighty God. I couldn't do that. I I was touched by my mother's falseness. She's gone now. I don't condemn her. I've put her in Jesus' hands, and I, in fact, even preached her funeral service, and I called for men and women to be sanctified in the spirit, leaving my mother, Orpha, meaning stiff-necked, if you recall the scriptures, leaving her in the hands of Jesus and trusting her. My father will be heartbroken if she is not with him. What I want you to hear today is these are very serious issues. And we are coming to a time of judgment in America. We're not going to be able to continue living as we have lived in the past. Things are not going to be simple and easy and rich. Famine is coming to America. War is coming to America. And the question is now, how will you live? Will you see what is coming? And will you finally decide to get serious with Jesus Stop trying to gain your husband or your wife's approval. Stop trying to get the relatives to approve of you. Stop trying to get your boss or your friends to approve of you. Would you finally recognize that you must come to Jesus alone, that there are no coattails to Jesus? There's no preacher's coattails, not mine, not anyone else's. You personally must get in the prayer closet, And you must pray through to victory and be changed, having your life realigned. I said this to a man, a pastor. He said, oh, yes, 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 that's all true. But he was unwilling to do it. He had a heart so full of his dreams of success, of being somebody, of of building his kingdom, being a, a pastor, entrepreneur, that he refused to take the time to go in before God and get God's evaluation of his heart and his life. Please hear me. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but humble your heart before Almighty God and begin to cry out to him with loud cries. Taking those strings that you see in your life and begin to pursue those in the Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit how you should deal with this sense that you have in your mind the holy spirit prompting you that everything is not what it should be in your life that you still love the applause of men you still look for the for the pleasure of this life you still want people to fawn over you and to say what a wonderful person you are you still want the world's approval you still want to prove something You still love your lifestyle. These are all strings that have to be pulled and pursued in the prayer closet. Now, I can tell you from my experience, when I made the decision that I would begin to pray one hour a day many years ago, I set the alarm clock for one hour and at the end of one hour nothing had happened except i'd been totally bored i prayed in the first 10 minutes everything i could possibly think of to say to god can you imagine a human person talking with the god of heaven and he's run out of everything to say in 10 minutes in fact i'd said everything twice in those 10 minutes I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my sin. I was a pastor, preaching every Sunday. A staff of five people. A big budget. Thousands of dollars. Radio. Doing TV specials. I was the man. But I didn't know the sin of my own heart. I was arrogant. But somehow God began to get a hold of me in my desperate need, and I began to acknowledge I had this need in my life. God seemed to be dead to me. And so I set apart this time to pray, but I didn't know how to pray. I could pray publicly beautiful prayers. I didn't know how to pray in the prayer closet. And I had to begin with those few strings that I had to to play them out, to cry out to God. So the second day went about as the first day did. And I thought, you know what? I've made a pledge to do this for a year. I'm going to die. Oh, I did die. And I was born again. And everything changed. I was immature, but I had to start growing in the school of the Holy Spirit. One hour grew into two hours, and then three hours, and then four hours, five, six, seven, sometimes eight hours a day in the prayer closet. I learned to pray the scriptures. I learned to read the Psalms aloud and cry out like David for the Lord to come and rescue me. Please hear me. This journey to heaven is not a slam dunk. You're going to have to get very serious. Everything is against you being saved and going to heaven. The casual religion, the casualness of your own heart, the sentimentality, the feelings, the determination that I'm the one who will determine what is right and wrong. And some of you just blow the whole thing off and are just living your life in this world. But you're storing up wrath for yourself for that day of wrath when God will judge you according to his standard, not according to your standard. I know people who have have been in the school of the Holy Spirit for some time and they finally conclude that they've learned enough and they know what they're doing and and off they go but they don't really know what they're doing because they refuse to pray through about their pride and their entrepreneurialism they wouldn't pray through and surrender themselves Fully to the hand of God. Oh, they think they have. But their life evidence is that they're still filled with the love of money. You can tell by what they do with their money. By the pride. By the self-sufficiency. See, we have to make a decision. Will we... Finally, lay down our life. Your only hope, your only hope is not Jesus. Your only hope is that his kindness will lead you to repentance. So that Jesus can save you. He cannot and he will not save you in the midst of stubborn rebellion and sin. He's given you a way to break the power of sin in your life by his precious blood. And that way is to repent and to pray through to total victory and sanctification. If you don't do that, You will be a lukewarm Christian. And he said he would spit you out of his mouth. He does not want any intimacy with you. Over and over in the letters to the seven churches, he talks about overcoming. Well, what are you overcoming? You're overcoming your own heart. You're overcoming your own inclination. You're overcoming... That wickedness that rises up in your heart and condemns others and treats others with scorn. I've had men say to me, Oh, Pastor Ray, I consider you family. There's anything I wouldn't do for you. (laughs) That's true until they get mad. And get filled with their own heart. Then off they charge. I hope you hear me today. We are facing war in America. We're facing starvation. We're facing such anguish and pain. I don't want you to enter into this time of grave crisis and difficulty with a heart that is not fully given over to jesus because if our hearts are fully given over through repentance and being washed in his blood Then we will walk through the fiery trial that is coming upon the earth with confidence and with joy, and we will lay our lives down for Jesus Christ. We will be prepared to care about our brothers and our sisters. Hospitality will be the name of the game. Giving for the work of the gospel of Jesus. Sacrificing ourselves for the gospel even as the apostles did, even if it means we're martyred. I'm looking for those precious men and women who are willing to deal with their pride and their selfishness, who are willing to deal with their arrogance We're willing to deal with the love of the world and the flesh and the devil and are willing to repent and pray through to victory. Now, right now, very few of you are willing to do that. I know that. Many of you have never spent a night in prayer. You've never wept before the Lord. Some of you have not cried for years if... If any time as an adult, it's going to be a very strange thing for you to begin to look at those strings in your heart, telltale signs that the Holy Spirit is saying to you, wait a minute, you got a problem here. You're going to have to get on your face before God and cry aloud to him until those issues are dealt with. And it may take you all day. It may take you a week. Some of you like to do a little bit and a little bit and a little bit and say, I'm working on it, Pastor. I'm working on it. No, stop working on it. Go into the prayer closet and finally get really honest with yourself. Admit who you are. Admit the struggle of your heart. And get right with Jesus. Give yourself to Him. Don't lie to Jesus anymore. Don't try to please anyone other than Jesus. You can never please your wife. You can never please your husband. You can never please your children. It's not your job to please them. It's your job to please Jesus Christ. And he'll direct you on how to minister to your wife and your husband, your children. But first, you're going to have to go in that prayer closet. If you're wise you'll be terrified of the prayer closet. Most churches have totally given up praying. They may hold a midweek meeting, but it will be largely praise and worship music. It will be largely a, a quick message by one of the pastors. And then you're on your way home. Maybe a short time of prayer. That's all play stuff. It's not real. It's make-believe. Most churches have canceled their prayer meetings because nobody would attend. Why wouldn't they? Because the pastor wouldn't get real with them. It's time to get real. It's time to finally admit, okay, I've got to deal with this. And then have the courage to stand up and deal with it and be done with it. It takes a lot of courage to be a Christian. The Christian faith is not for the the weak-willed lovers and talkative people who don't ever do what they say. It's time to get real with Jesus. Jesus. Mighty God, I've tried to speak very tenderly to your people today about what they need to do to stop placing a false hope in you, Jesus, and instead get into the prayer closet and get real with you so that their faith in you is genuine and not a false faith. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, I ask please encourage your people today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're out of time for today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of the broadcast. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that address. National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also, if you would like to support this broadcast, you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. There are many things on this webpage that you'll find very helpful in your walk with Jesus. Podcasts, videos, and other things. Go to NationalPrayerChapel.com. One word, NationalPrayerChapel.com. You also can give online. And I thank Lisa. Thank you. I just saw yours. It's been a long time since I've heard from you. If you can, call on a Friday and pray with us. God bless you today. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Oh,